Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Thanks to you, our listeners, KRBN Internet News Talk Radio is growing and is now available on more stations such as Facebook Video, Player.fm, iTunes, Verbal, and now on Amazon Audible. KRBN Internet News Talk Radio currently does not receive any funding to bring you these programs. However, we do ask that you hit that like button and tell your friends to help this station grow. And thank you again for your support. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bo's Nose Show. With your host, West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Goldsevich. Welcome to another edition of the Bose Nose Show, and I'm your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich, and we're coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira, uh, where if you hear a little squeaking in the background, that's my standard poodle piper accompanying the show, so it's not me. <laughs> oh, yes. Well, we got a busy show because, good gravy, there's so much to talk about, uh, you know, because the legislators are going to get ready to have a quote short session, which was originally advertised to be for budget adjustments. Um, and they dropped a lot of their draft bills uh, to the public, you know, in the last day or so. So suddenly we're hearing about all sorts of crazy stuff there. Um, our commissioners have been up to all sorts of things. Um, you know, it's just, it's just, it, it's a target rich environment as far as topics go. But always on the Bose Nose Show, we like to talk about what you want to talk about. 646-721-9887 is the call-in number. And don't forget to press 1, and that gives us a little, you know, hand-raised thing, kind of like the uh, Zoom meeting stuff. And we know you you want to talk because we do have people that call 646-721-9887 just to listen to the show. Because we know not everyone can sit with a computer uh, in a place where they can listen to the show easily. And sometimes it's just as easy uh, in your car, particularly if you've got hands-free through your stereo system, to dial into the show and listen while you're driving. I mean, what more entertainment while you're in your com- evening commute than the Bose Nose Show? Uh, but, yeah, we... We love to have conversations, so don't forget, give us a call, 646-721-9887. Don't forget to press 1, and that lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know you want to get in on the show. So let's start off with Climate Action Plan, because we talked about that a little bit last week. And I was pleasantly surprised that some of my fellow board members were okay with the idea of delaying action on it for a little while while we address some late um, comments that came in relative to the plan, and particularly 
the ones about um, the state climate protection plan that was finalized after we finalized this climate action plan phase two. We already adopted a climate action plan phase one, which was an internal looking document at county operations, which by the way, when we did our greenhouse gas inventory of the county operations, when you ignore our landfill because not every county operates a landfill, like Benton County doesn't operate a landfill, the Coffin Butte landfill is operated by a private entity, so that's not in their greenhouse gas inventory, and there are other counties that are similar. Um, but if you ignore the, 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 the short mountain landfill and just talk about the rest of county operations and around the state, they're fairly similar what, what counties do. Per capita, we had the lowest carbon footprint of the five counties we compared ourselves with. We had an even lower per capita carbon footprint for county operations than Multnomah County. So we're already starting out as one of the best counties for carbon footprint, but I digress. The phase two climate action plan is outward looking towards the community of Lane County and what we are going to try and make people do rather than what we're going to do ourselves. But, and, you know, one of the reasons why Lane County had such a low carbon footprint, we didn't actually have a climate action plan prior to the progressives coming in. We just did what was right with saving resources, and we were constantly working on things like energy efficiency in our buildings, uh, energy efficiency of our vehicle fleet, and, and things like that. And that's why we have such a low carbon footprint. It was about saving taxpayers money and just doing what was right. Didn't have to call it a, a climate action plan. But we now have you know, the phase one done and uh, we're working on this phase two, which basically uh, includes some things that we talked about last week on the Bo's Nose Show, but one of which is basically to, to try and eliminate natural gas as a choice for both commercial and residential buildings in Wayne County. And, and what one of the things the plan does recognize is we can't mandate that because I believe that's really a state regulatory authority, but it was going to encourage bans on new natural gas infrastructure being connected to any new housing or commercial and to encourage the complete conversion to electrical appliances of any existing buildings through subsidies and other ways of, of trying to make people transfer that. And I'd spent considerable time on past shows talking about how natural gas keeps the peak electric demand down during early morning heating hours uh, here in the Pacific Northwest which is where we have our highest demands on the electric grid. And everything about the climate action plan, which also encourages electric grid decarbonization, as they call it, um, is going to add additional peak demand on the electric grid, while at the same time destabilizing the grid with the decarbonation part, part of it. And I've made reference and I've put links up before 
to the uh, Northwest uh, Conservation Council, I believe it is, Energy Conservation Council's report on the uh, what they call loss of power um, events, which is basically a blackout. <laughs> and they don't like to exceed a 5% probability. You know, that's good. That's considered good reliability of the grid. We're currently sitting at seven and a half percent probability because of the shutdown of, of coal plants. And we're progressing to over eight percent to about eight point six or seven this coming year with additional shutdowns. And if the plans go with the continued quote decarbonization, by twenty thirty, we're gonna be at thirty-three percent chance, one one in three chance of blackouts at you know, almost any time in the grid, but particularly on those winter mornings when everybody wants their now forced to use electric heat to run. <laughs> um, so, uh, fascinating stuff. And, you know, I just want to note that it's not just Joe Bernie and Heather Buck that are pushing this climate plan that are, you know, currently running for election. But Don Leslie, who has, you know, filed early to run for my seat, has stated publicly her support for banning new natural gas infrastructure and supporting the city of Eugene's plans to, to try and move forward with that. So that New England transplant with the Eugene zip code that wants to be the rural West Lane County Commissioner supports limiting your choice whether you want to heat your home with gas or electric or cook with gas or electric because natural gas bad <sighs> but we'll move on from climate change stuff because we beat that horse pretty hard last week and i i just want to casually also mention that the, the issue of raises for the commissioners because we also talked about that pretty a long time last week but it kind of not just on our show, but it got picked up by a statewide uh, news site, um, the Oregon Catalyst, and, and they had a little article about it. And it, I just want to remind folks, it was the Budget Committee that received a presentation from the Elected Officials Compensation Board. According to Oregon statute, the Budget Committee has to then recommend to the full board, to the Board of Commissioners, whether or not you know, they they um, recommend raises for various elected officials, including the sheriff, the DA, tax assessor, and our justice of the peace, besides the board of commissioners. And uh, that budget committee includes that, you know, progressive New England transplant with the Eugene zip code, Don Leslie. And she voted with Joe Bernie and Heather Buck to give commissioners raises to recommend giving commissioners raises to the board. So, you know, as you all are struggling with, you know, the, with Brandon's inflation, um, you know, they, they want to, and you can't get a sheriff to come to your home for a property tax crime, or property crime, sorry, Property tax sometimes is crime, but a property crime, and you can't get that sheriff to come, you know, 
we're going to, you know, they were supporting using general fund resources because that's what pays the commissioner salaries instead of in public safety to, to give commissioners more pay. I voted no on all the raises proposed. In fact, one of the first things I did as a commissioner was cut our deferred compensation, which was 2% of our salary, and I cut our office budgets down to, to first to 14,000, and then in the second cut, I cut it down to 4,000 from where they were, which was close to you know 50,000 a year. Now the, the progressives have reversed my 4,000 a year for office budgets up to 15,000 a year. So they already raised their office budgets, which competes with public safety in the general fund. And they've given themselves raises and now they wanted to give more raises. Any of those can't, you know, people that voted for that raise and have supported the increase in office budgets wants to tell you about how much they support public safety, they're willing to give themselves perks and raises that could have gone to the sheriff's office. Well, and they'll try and explain, well, it, was, it wasn't even enough to hire a deputy or something like that. It doesn't matter. We paid well enough, $87,000 a year. And when you add benefits, it's over $100,000 a year. And we get a $6,000 a year vehicle stipend. We get a stipend to pay for our cell phones. We didn't need a raise. <sighs> but... You know, I want to touch on a couple other things, and these are also kind of related sort of the climate change issue, but they also relate to me to just the complete disconnect of progressives and, you know, their constant talk about equity and the underserved and low-income people and how they keep doing things that make it more costly for low-income people to live, whether it's forcing them to heat their homes with electricity, which is incredibly expensive compared to gas, or at least not having people have the opportunity to decide whether they want to turn the gas heater on or turn on their heat pump. You know, it's just, you know, they keep doing things that just make it more expensive. And the latest thing was something the legislature passed last year that became effective at the first of the year, which is there's now a new fee on your electric bill. So next time you get your electric bill, look at it really carefully because there's a fee now there that's supporting electric vehicle charging stations that was mandated by the legislature. Every person that gets an electric bill pays that fee. If you've got an electric meter, it doesn't matter what your income level is, you're paying that fee. Who benefits from it? Well, if you look at where there's electric vehicles owned, the mass, the vast majority of them are Portland. So you poor rural folks, you know, that are part of the, you know, the Blatchley Lane Electric Co-op up there in Triangle Lake are paying a fee so that some Portland high roller 
that owns a Tesla that cost over $100,000 can charge his car freely when he, when he wants to travel around our state. What happened to be being concerned about equity and all that stuff? Is that an equitable way of paying for a program? You know, and this whole idea that we have to, you know, use government to build all these charging stations, why isn't the electric car industry providing those? Or the electrical utilities because it'll actually make money or something like that? Because one, it probably won't. And, you know, two, the electric car industry wouldn't, really, you know, is basically on pure government subsidy life support. You couldn't afford one if it weren't for the subsidies and the tax breaks, let alone try and replace the batteries in one when they when they ever need replacing. <laughs> um, but, you know, we ignoring all that stuff, you know, did we have to pay, you know, you know, tax people to pay for gas stations to be built when automobiles came about? No. People selling petroleum put them in. <laughs> they didn't have to tax hay, <laughs> as Bill London, you know, brought up on his show. You know, that why are we taxing people? to build stuff. You know, it's this, this whole idea that, you know, government's going to have to step in and solve all these problems when government's creating the problems in the first place for most people. You know, next thing you know, they're going to be going, oh, look how the poor are suffering and there's more homeless and all that stuff. Well, you raise their electric bills. You're raising their gasoline costs. with all the government mandates and government regulations that you keep passing, they're supposed to be for quote, the good of us. And then you're gonna turn around and do some of the things that we're gonna talk about next. But I'm gonna take a deep breath, calm down a minute and remind folks we are calling show. We'll talk about whatever you wanna talk about. 646-721-9887, just press one to get in on the show. Again, 646-721-9887, and uh, press one so Robin knows you want to get in and talk. But, you know, there's a couple proposals out there. One's an initiative petition. One's an actual bill that was proposed in the legislature. The initiative petition wants to increase the corporate tax rate for corporations that that uh, have more than $25 million in profits, which means some of the really big ones like Comcast and and Intel and Nike and some of the you know, other corporations, which, but $25 million is not a significant amount of money. So it's reaching pretty far down. They make it sound like it's only a few. But with that, they want to give, check, divide that out and give an annual check to every Oregonian. And from what they estimate that will raise would be a $750 check per year. Now, just remember, and we've talked about this on the Bose Nose Show, 
Bymart shut down their pharmacies over the 1% corporate activities tax. <clears throat> 3% increase in the corporate tax rate. You think that might drive some businesses to close or some businesses to leave the state? And the other proposal that's out there now is a sales tax to support writing checks to low-income people. This one's a sales tax on all sorts of items, including cell phones, which poor people buy. And they're going to use that sales tax to write $750 checks per month to people that qualify. You know, I don't know where the low income is, you know, what they define that as. But it's just a blatant transfer of wealth with government in the middle hiring people to collect the tax and, and all the administrative things that go on with that. And you just wonder why some of our state officials are scratching their head of why Intel chose to reconfigure their plant in Ohio for $20 billion rather than invest in their plant up in Beaverton, Hillsborough, wherever they are, if they're Hillsborough. Cognitive dissonance. Let's do something that's going to make it more expensive to live for poor people. And then we have to fix it, killing jobs, moving companies out of state, and adding more burden, cost, you know, because, you know, there's no unnamed corporation that pays taxes. I'm sorry, but people don't get it. When you tax a corporation, you tax their customers, their shareholders, and their employees. That's the only place that you're going to get the money to pay that tax. Either it's going to be in increased prices, it's going to be in decreased dividends and share prices, which, you know, a lot of people have 401ks for their retirements, or it's going to be in suppressing employee salary increases and benefits because that's the other place a corporation can save enough money to pay more taxes. Only people pay taxes, not piece of paper that says corporation. Because when it comes right down to it, corporations are pieces of paper and sharehold the shareholders that stand behind that piece of paper. The shareholders are people. The employees are people. The customers are people. That's who's going to pay that corporate tax. Additional taxes are inflationary. Ah, yes. It just, it's amazing to me that, you know, that, that progressive mentality that just doesn't seem, or, or maybe it's on purpose. They get this. They get that they're, they're, they're doing things that are going to cause more people to need more government because that's their end game. Ultimately, they're going to have the government being the entire economy. Can you say communism? And in control of the entire economy because people keep, you know, saying, oh, the government's got to save us from this and save us from that. When the government created the problems in the first place, we talked about it with, with child care. And the lack of, 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 you know, child care. So, you know, working mothers are having difficulty working. 
Well, that's all caused by government regulation in the first place and government raising the cost of living so much that it requires two people to work in a home, both parents working. So they can't provide their own child care. And then government regulations have driven out, you know, the kind of child care that used to be cheap and easy to afford, like a neighbor that decided to take in a couple extra kids for a few extra bucks because they wanted to stay at home with their kid. But, you know, now you got it, that neighbor's got to have a certification. They have to have their, the, their facility inspected and, you know, blah, 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 blah. You know, and, and it's to the point where you can't run that kind of child care anymore. And because of all the certifications, inspections, and safety requirements that go along with a child care facility now, the cost of them has gone up. Or the number of them has gone down, too, which is why the cost has gone up and why they all have waiting lists. Government created problem. Now that people want the government to, to, you know, to somehow or another solve that. You know, government provided child care, which is, of course, progressives love that because it's another opportunity to begin the indoctrination of children into their philosophy. I mean, they've ma- they managed to first take over the education departments at colleges so they could get teachers that, that were true believers and now they, you know, started working that down into the, the K through 12 system, and now they want your pre-K kids. <sighs> Gets me worked up sometimes. Oh, gosh, there's got to be something positive I can talk about. Hmm, let's see. I'm looking back through some of my notes from the board meetings. There's nothing there, nothing there, nothing there. Gosh, just more stuff I could talk about. It's probably going to make me mad, like our strategic plan update that, that, you know, leans way too heavily on stuff that's starting to get outside the normal jurisdiction of matters of county concern and into social engineering and, um, you know, our housing action work that's, you know, all about how government can try and supply housing versus government getting out of the way of the private sector supplying that housing. I will say that was one interesting thing that was in, you know, they they did a study of of the housing needs for the next five years, and based on the underbuild and what's needed for growth, there needs to be 16,000 new housing units plus I mean, it's 16,400 or something like that. New housing units in the next five years in Lane County. Now, how in the hell is government going to provide 16,000 housing units? We can't. We're lucky if we can build 100 a year. Good Lord, look at how long it took Eugene to get a 50-unit campsite up and running. And how long it takes, you know, us and Homes for Good to get a 50-unit, you know, low-income housing project built. We might be lucky as government at a huge cost to the taxpayers to get two or 300 units if we really ramp ourselves up a year. That's well short of 16000 You know where that 16000 can come from? 
big place it can come from is, is the city of Eugene has got to keep moving forward with expanding their urban growth boundary. They did the work to get their urban reserves at least submitted to the state. The state should be approving those. So we need to push the state about that. And we need to push the city to go, to move forward with their housing needs study and their and their land needs study so they can justify moving that UGB because there needs to be developable land. And in the last Envision Eugene process, they counted land as developable. It's not. 35% slopes, you can't build affordable housing on that. Fortunately, the urban reserves identified some fairly level properties to the west of, of the Bethel area of Eugene that will actually could be built as affordable housing, whether it's multifamily, whether it's some of this missing middle stuff and, and um, single family, you know, you know entry-level single-family homes, the private sector is where you're going to get 16000 And the city that has the greatest potential to add land for the private sector to build on is Eugene because it has the largest population, therefore can justify the biggest expansion of the UGP. Plus, they have the, the available land adjacent to them. They're not hemmed in by rivers or mountains or resource lands and uh, an ocean like Florence, <laughs> you know, they've got the ability to do it. We need to be pushing that city to do so. And, and ignoring that is creating the housing crisis, which is creating the homeless crisis. The same progressives, you know, that, you know, don't get that the government's actually causing the problem are so concerned about homelessness and so concerned about affordable housing don't get that it's the government standing in the way of those things. Well, got myself all wound up, but we still got about a half hour left in the show. <laughs> so I'm going to um, Again, remind folks, we are a call-in show, 646-721-9887. Just press 1 if you want to get in on the Bose Nose Show. Uh, and it, really, we'll talk about whatever you want to talk about. Again, 646-721-9887. Just press 1, and that gets you in on the Bose Nose Show. And if you don't call in, I might talk about people. I'm not going to take this anymore. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm getting, you know. One of the reasons why I've chosen to retire after this term is I'm, I've sensed that I'm becoming less and less tolerant of people that are completely ignoring the interconnection between the unintended consequences of the actions they're proposing and the actions they're proposing. You know, it's like when it's, you know, well-documented over, you know, multiple studies, could point these things out to these people, you know, just common sense and economics would point it out to them, but they continue to push stuff because it meets their agenda. Their social justice warrior, you know, um, whatever it is they are agenda, which is, you know, almost everything's pushing us towards state 
Ism and state control, limiting individual freedoms and responsibility. Order from the government, and we're going to take care of your life for you, and you can just you know, sit back and cruise while us elite government decision makers who will have you know, extra benefits that you won't be allowed to enjoy because you're not part of the elite um, will take care of you. It, you know, I, I'm, I can say one thing. I am pleased to start seeing the pushback on this. I and mean, we saw some pushback over the years. Um, the Tea Party movement, which kind of got going under the Bush administration, which people forget about. It wasn't focused on Obama. It was focused on the um the bank bailouts and the automobile industry bailouts and other federal actions that were anti-free market and blowing up our federal budget and deficit, um, which now has just gone on steroids. That's, you know, one place I've always been super critical of President Trump was he had no control of his spending and, and the deficit while he was in office. You know, we're now starting to see people realize, holy crap, there's a price to pay for that. And you know what it is? It's called inflation. We don't control our spending. It creates inflation. We found that out before. Oh, my goodness. Yep, that pushback might have started with the Tea Party movement. We might have seen some more pushback against, you know, overbearing government in the timber unity movement here in Oregon. And we're starting to see, you know, in Virginia, the pushback against critical race theory and some of the other things going on in schools. And now we're seeing up in the Alsea school district, some pushback against the the mask mandates. Now that folks are admitting that cloth masks are not really effective with the Omicron variant, which is true. They, you know, they might have had, you know, they might have been an effective tool earlier on with some of the other less transmissive variants, but they are too porous and and everything else. And ultimately, when you have an ineffective tool that actually can be contributing to poor health, also, because I, I can tell you from personal experience, I had my biannual, you know physical, you know, typical wellness checkup, past and flying colors, I like to say. But, I, you know, they always do a full blood screen and all that stuff. And, you know, I, I was in normal range for everything from triglycerides to potassium to, to blood glucose and all that good stuff. I had one thing that was out of normal. My CO2 levels were elevated. And I was like, why in the hell is my CO2 above the normal range? And then I, was, then I thought, aha, I sat in a waiting room, sat you know, in, in the exam room for a while, got my exam, then sat in a waiting room for the blood screen, and I finally got my, my blood drawn. I had been wearing a face mask for about two and a half hours. So if we're going to require masking, it better be effective keeping that disease that we're requiring it for in check. And frankly, 
people don't get masks fit well enough. They don't understand the correct way to wear them. They don't change them off enough. It's actually gotten to the point where masking may actually be detrimental to public health. Not to mention with children and the sanitary issues they have with masks, where they get food on them, where they suck on them, and everything else. I, I would hate to do a bacterial study of children's masks after a single, you know, at, you know, just a morning of being in school and then knowing that they would have to wear it the rest of the day. You're halfway through the day, took a child's mask, swabbed it and did a culture on it. I bet we would just be shocked at what that child was breathing for the rest of the day. So, you know, Alcy, good school district, you're going to get hammered by the state. You're going to, you know, like they say, it's the nail that sticks up that gets the hammer. Um, <laughs> so I'm sorry for that, but um, on a public health issue, it's probably the right call. Particularly understanding the low health risk for children, particularly understanding that almost all of the adults in those setting, school settings are fully vaxxed and boosted because they've been required to be. And you're just not dealing with that, you know, now that we've gotten to the Omicron variant where the disease severity from the variant is a lot lower, which is kind of a good news thing. So I want to talk about some good news for a minute. Now, everyone's hearing about the record number of cases with the Omicron. We're setting all these records and everything else. I asked last time we had a presentation on COVID because we get updates about every two weeks on the COVID uh, pandemic from our public health staff to at least get some trending or comparisons from one surge to the next because, you know, that that's what really makes sense and they, they – they always give us hospitalization data that's stagnant to, the, to that day and never comparing to you know, how it's trending or anything like that, which bothers me because as a data geek, trends are what, what count and comparisons to other events. So our, you know, thank you for, to our public health staff because they actually listened to me about this. And they looked at Omicron and said, you know, we're – so many weeks into the Omicron surge, let's look at the Delta surge and compare hospitalization between this many weeks into Delta and this many weeks into Omicron. Fascinating comparison. Record-setting number of cases, and mind you, that record-setting number of cases is underreported. It's actually higher because people are starting to use in-home tests now and they're not reporting positives. And the in-home tests are more likely to give false negatives. So there's probably a lot of people that, and the Omicron's mild enough and quite often asymptomatic, people have it and don't know it. So they don't even get tested. So the numbers are probably far higher than the case count being reported. But when you look at Delta, at this point in, in the surge, we were at 138 people in Lane County in the hospital due to COVID. Today, or at the same period, the date they compared, which was last Wednesday, I believe, 56. I think we're up to 62 or 63 right now, but 56 on, when they compared the dates. Delta for ICU usage, 47. 
Omicron 11. So you're talking about case numbers that were more than double the Delta surge, half or and even less on the ICU side, a quarter. I think that tells a big story about what's happening with this, quote, pandemic and how it's becoming endemic. It also tells a story with how the treatments have advanced for, for COVID that we're not you know, seeing, and also the number of people that are vaccinated because that, you know, there are breakthrough cases with Omicron. It's been well proven that it's, that, but if you've been vaccinated and boosted, you're, you know, the, the ratio of chance of going into the hospital is like, you know, 30 to one <laughs> unvaccinated versus, you know, fully vaxxed. You know, it, so Omicron's not as severe even for the unvaccinated, but it's even less severe for the vaccinated. So we're seeing just this huge difference in hospitalization usage and uh, ICU usage with Omicron. Um, and what we're seeing also is, you know, one of the questions I asked was, and, and it's been admitted by, you know, both our OHA director and Dr. Fauci that they're counting hospitalization usage, people that were admitted for other reasons and then test positive. Which, yes, that might mean they have to be a little bit treated a little bit differently and isolated better, but they're not in the hospital for COVID. They're generally asymptomatic. That's why they didn't come to the hospital for COVID in the first place. <laughs> but they're counted as a COVID hospitalization in the statistics. But our staff did a deep dive into the hospitalization records for one day last week. And of the 62 people that were in the hospital that day, 46 were initially admitted for COVID, and 16 were hospitalized and tested positive with COVID later. So that that drop in hospitalization that you're seeing, uh, there's even a percentage of that that are just what I call hospitalized, hospitalized for other reasons but tested positive for COVID once admitted. So, you know, that's, that's a different story. So we're really seeing, you know, even with this huge case count, an end to the severity of the disease to, to some degree. And with the huge case count, we're developing a huge store of natural immunity now. And what they're saying is the folks that were, were vaccinated and boosted and then got Omicron, are having a testing, you know, with really high levels of antibodies after recovery. So I think, you know, the good news in all this, and this is, you know, my good news portion of the Bozno show, is the end is in sight. And I think almost all public health people are saying, you know what, this could be the beginning of the end of the pandemic. So that raises the question, why are we moving forward with a permanent mask rule in the state of Oregon? And oh my God, did they get an earful on the public comment for those two days they had public comment open. <laughs> uh, I didn't get to watch, but I understood from people that did that 
nobody was supporting a permanent mask rule. Everybody was against it, basically. They heard it from parents. They heard it from people that had medical backgrounds. You know, it, one size fits all, and a permanent rule doesn't work. Particularly understanding that now we, you know, it's there's pretty clear evidence that these highly transmissive variants like Omicron defeat cloth and non, you know, rated masking of you know, the, the homemades and everything else, gaiters and all that stuff. Face, you know, the face shields, not good enough. You have to have a KN95 or M95 without a, a breathing valve um, properly fitted you know, mask to really have any real barrier impact from you catching it yourself or preventing transmission to somebody else. There's just too many air gaps around most masks, even the surgical style mask. You know, the three-ply surgical style mask, they're not properly worn, which most people don't wear them properly. Um, it just doesn't do much good. But at the same time, they create that CO2 buildup in the blood that I, I've i got a positive blood test that demonstrates that. What impact is that having on my health, high CO2 levels? It's not a good thing. And you wonder why, you know, I wonder why sometimes I get the weekends and I'm so gosh darn tired. You know, it's like, oh. How much did I wear my mask this week? So I'm ready. Yeah, I, I've, I've become convinced and I'm ready at this point to start advocating for an end to any sort of masking mandates. At the same time, I fully support any private business that wants to continue to require them for admission. They'll have to deal with their customers any person that wants to wear one into a business is their personal choice. And the business probably should not ask that person to leave because they're wearing a mask. I believe you shouldn't harass somebody that wants to wear a mask, as well as the people that are wearing masks shouldn't harass somebody that doesn't want to wear a mask. It's a personal choice and a piece of personal responsibility. And particularly there are people, if I was over 80, I'd be wearing KN95s just about everywhere because this damn disease is pretty deadly to 80 plus. Particularly if I had a pre-existing medical condition like obesity, diabetes, and a few other, you know, heart conditions and a few other pre-existing conditions that have been tied to high mortality. Those conditions combined with age, really high mortality. But we're seeing almost no mortality in young people. Yet we're forcing these kids to lose a good portion of human communication. Anyone that's taking a communication course in college or even in high school, they talk about how much communication you know, what percentage, you know, is, is, you know, if you communicate by writing, it's only about 20% to 30% effective in human communication. 
over the phone where you can get voice inflection, 50-60%. Real human communication is person-to-person where you can see facial expression. When you're hiding more than half your face with a mask, you're eliminating a lot of that communication. And particularly for certain peoples, some people on the autism spectrum, some people you know, with hearing issues, that loss of that ability to watch somebody's mouth, the smile on their face when they say something, or the downturn, whether they're you know, being serious or facetious, playful, you know, you can't humorous, you can't tell that. You're cutting off so much of interpersonal communication with those masks. And what that's doing to the socialization skills of young children is horrible. With very little public health benefit, if not actually detriment. Kids don't keep masks sanitary. Time maybe for us to push back. It's time for the mask tea party. That said, I absolutely have to denounce whoever the idiots were that were down at that vaccination site in Cottage Grove that got into a fist fight and caused problems and threat and threatened violence with people. There is no place in political movement for violence. And, and that sort of physical confrontation. There's all sorts of ways to to protest nonviolently, to not wear your mask and you know let somebody find you. You know, kind of like the LC school district is doing. It's like we just you know we're following what the CDC's and everyone's telling us that these masks aren't effective for Omicron. We're not going to punish our kids anymore. Go ahead, state, have at us. Now, if, you know, another 50 or so school districts start doing that around the state, maybe it might push the governor over the edge. And, of course, if a bunch of parents call the governor's office, hmm, maybe I need to look up that number again. Um, Robin, uh, you know, to call the governor's office, I used to have it memorized, um, but uh, it, it's a 503 number because you know our government governor is actually the governor of portland not oregon but uh, that's you know <laughs> but you know it's just one of those things where um you know if a lot of people start pressuring that might actually have an impact 503-378-4582 and leave a message that you want the mask mandate for children to end in our schools. Leave a polite message. One of the things I tell people all the time in grassroots movements is stay polite. It's really hard to demonize you if you're polite. Say, please end the mask mandate for our children. Thank you for listening to me. You know, if you went, if if we got thousands of people to call into the governor's office at 503-378-4582 and ask for that nicely and politely, 
like we kind of did one time before about the risk level thing, and she changed her mind shortly thereafter, because I understand we broke the phone system. That's what we need to kind of do is break the phone system again out there. So um, 503-378-4582. Leave a polite message asking the governor to end the mask mandate for our children in schools. Now, I know we can't make them not wear masks on the school bus, but you know, for that 15 to 20 minutes they're on the bus in the morning and the evening, they might actually keep their masks sanitary. And it is difficult to socially distance. And I remember the buses, at least when I was a kid, weren't very well ventilated because they practically made me car sick every time. And I I don't get motion sickness. And generally, but I hated riding the bus because it was always so stale. Um, but that's beside the point. Um, we just need to, you know, it's a federal requirement on the bus. That's going to take a whole different level of effort to change that. But we could change our state requirement. And Lord forbid, you know, while you're asking her to drop the kids' mask mandate, no permanent mask mandate in Oregon. Ah. But we, the white of the tunnel, end of the tunnel is coming. This will pass. We'll return to some level of normalcy. I'll be so happy. Although I've always done the Bose Nose Show as a virtual show, I'll be happy maybe to actually be able to go out and maybe do some live shows. I, I did one or two before COVID where I did the show from a location and people could come in and talk to me live. <laughs> Won't that be a great thing again, Robin, you know, and, uh, you know, getting away from virtual meetings. Uh, You mean actually seeing people? Yeah, yeah. Hey, speaking of virtual meetings, I I have to commend the folks at Dune City, and Robin probably knows where this is going. (laughs) (laughs) They have always kept their city council in person where the public could come in and attend meetings. At the same time, they went to broadcasting on the web, too, so that people could, you know, that didn't want to come could watch on the web. Well, because they have the camera in there, it's it's an interesting thing. And and I don't know what possessed the one city councilor in their last councilor meeting to bribe the cameraman that broadcast the meeting, which, by the way, the cameraman's a public official in that in his capacity filming the the, the meeting. So he actually, on camera, bribed a public official <laughs> to show him from the waist up only, so he could take his pants off <laughs> during the city council meeting. And then he proceeded to ask other city councilors questions like, "Am I wearing boxers or briefs?" <laughs> I have no idea what led to this and what the point of it was, but you go, Dune City. (laughs) At least you're having in-person meetings, you know, unlike the Board of Commissioners that still is meeting virtually. I'm going to make make this comment after this following brief. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I, you know, 
it, 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 I hear, you know, there are all the stories about virtual meetings where people forget that their camera can see below the waist, you know, and stuff like that. And they got a suit and tie on, but boxers or something like that. Or, or the guy that doesn't realize their mic's on and they, you know, they're flatulent during the meeting and, you know, the little yellow border lights up. <laughs> and they're, they're, they just keep on going like nothing happened, you know. Or the or the guy that let his kid play with his computer and, and the attorney that appeared in court as a cat. <laughs> I am not a cat. This was an in-person meeting, and the guy drops trowel. And the fact that he had to try and convince people that he was a person. Hey, and, which leads me to the city. You know, the small cities in in Lane County. We are colorful. And probably make national news now and then because I think that went viral, the the, the uh, Dune City Council meeting. The Oak Ridge City Council had its own little incident, you know, that we we can talk about, which was the city mayor giving the state of the city address resigned during the state of the city. <laughs> it was kind of like a drop mic moment. <laughs> And by the way, I resigned. <laughs> I'd like to talk about the state of the city. It sucks. See you later. Uh, well, yeah, there's been a lot of problems going on there. There's big controversies around how they're funding their police department. You know, they funded it with a utility fee. Sound familiar? Utility fees, people kind of having a problem with that. Um, and, you know, one of the things about Oak Ridge sitting on Highway 58 a lot of their public safety response is from people out of town having wrecks and other incidents on Highway 58 responses, sometimes even outside the city limits to emergencies that happen in the vicinity of Oak Ridge. So I kind of don't blame some of the citizens for feeling like they're subsidizing the state patrol. <laughs> but it causes a lot of friction, you know, with the residents in Oak Ridge um, and a, a lot of problems with city council they get you know it gets negative and and it's hard these are, these are unpaid elected officials you know i at least get a very generous salary to be a commissioner you know and, and be involved in these controversies the poor mayor's not getting paid anything you know so sometimes you know and her reasoning for re- resigning was she wanted to remove herself to try and help remove some of the controversy and allow for things to move forward. You know, so, but, it, you know, between the, the mayor resigning during the state of the city on one end of Lane County and a city councilor dropping his pants on the other end of Lane County, we have some colorful city council meetings here in, in Lane County. Um, so, <laughs> With that, I think we are just about out of time on the Bose Nose Show. I want to thank you for listening today if you tuned in. We'll be back next week coming to you live from beautiful downtown Amara. Have a great week.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.